With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. Just back for Arfield. One up early. Scott Arfield. He's been threatening that recently. And all the Burnley players run to the Darwin end. Oh, what a goal. What a goal from Robbie Blake. Burnley's first goal in the Premier League is something very, very special. Wade Elliott has that change of pace and he's got away from Montgomery. It's the path of McCann and the fire plays the net. What a strike from Wade Elliott. A bolt from the Clarendon Blue. Oh, goodness me! What a goal from Patterson! If that is to be the one that takes them to Wembley, you cannot argue with that. Pure quality. I mean, if there's any justice in the world, Burnley would surely score from this corner. Swung right in there. Ball in there. Yeah! Michael Kennan! Oh, that's justice! That is justice! And they have Burnley are level and deserve to be. to Turfcast with me, Joe Ribbon. Now, it's been a little bit of a while since we've done uh, an actual podcast. Uh, we've been doing a lot of stuff over on our YouTube channel. Uh, I think the last podcast we did was with Andy, uh, Andy Jones from The um, Athletic, where we talked about potential incomings, because at that point, I don't think we'd had anybody confirmed, if I remember rightly. We may have just had Twine over the line. Ha, that rhymes. I didn't even mean for it to rhyme. Um, but we might have just had Twine sorted. 
Um, but I don't think we did. I think I think we were chatting about potential players coming in. But obviously, we've seen a bit of a flurry of activity. Not all good. Um, some of it's incoming. Some of it is outgoings as well. Um, and there could be another one, um, another outgoing uh, imminence with uh, the news that Nathan Collins could be going to Wolverhampton Wanderers. But there could be another incoming uh, imminence with the news that uh, Joshua Cullen is coming in from Anderlecht. But all these things will be discussed on the YouTube channel and the podcast over the next few days. Well, what I have been doing, if you have been watching the YouTube channel, um, I have been getting on fans and journalists um, to talk about some of Burnley's new signings or the people that know them best. So, for example, I had an MK Dons fan to talk about uh, Twine because that's who we bought him from, so it just makes perfect sense. I had an Oxford fan on to talk about Luke McNally, but the Oxford fan was also a Sky Sports News freelance presenter, so I, I picked his brains about you know where he thinks Burnley will do, uh, finish, sorry, how he thinks we'll do, what, what he thinks about company, that sort of thing. Um, and I, I've also had a chat about Vincent Company because he's obviously a bit of an anomaly to Berlin fans. We're not sure what sort of system he's going to play or, or, or you know what style of player he likes and that sort of thing because a lot of the work he's done has obviously been in Belgium. Um, so I have got a Belgian journalist on um, to see what sort of system he expects Berlin to play, how he expects us to play, what sort of players he expects Company to be using. Uh, and of course, um, Herwood Bellis as well. I got a Stoke City fan on uh, for Herwood Bellis uh, because he was on loan at Stoke in the second half of last season um, unfortunately I've tried my best to get somebody on for CJ Egan Raleigh but even the Man City fans that take forever to answer the the, the tweets and things like that even those you know the ones that finally do answer they don't know much about him because he's only 19 he's not played many games for City I think he played one game in the Champions League last season and that was it so unfortunately a lot of them are like oh there's not really a point in me coming on because I don't know much about him so if I get somebody on, I'll do a separate show for him and put it in a podcast as well. But at the minute, I'm just going to leave it. We'll just have to see how, how he is uh, when we play um, next season. But of course, um, we have had Samuel Bastian. Now, he will be done over the, the coming week and I'll put him in a different podcast. So what I'll give you, uh, uh, basically what I'm going to do on this podcast... I'm going to put in uh, the videos, obviously in audio format, in this podcast for the ones that have already appeared on the YouTube channel. So I'm going to start off with Scott Twine, where I talk to an MK Dons fan and get more information on Scott Twine. Then I'm go going to go into the Taylor Harewood Bellis one, where I talk to the Stoke City fan, as I've just mentioned, and get more information on him and what sort of player he is. Then after that, it's going to be um, the Oxford City and Sky Sports News presenter. He's called George. He's very, very good, where I talk to him about Luke McNally and um, how he thinks Burnley will do. And then I'll end this podcast um, with my chat with Belgian journalist Sven van Londerselle. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Um, and then with... Um, Samuel Bastian that's going to be coming on the on the, on the the YouTube channel in the next couple of days so if you're not subscribed go there already hit the bell so you get a notification as soon as it comes in and then with any other potential signings I've already spoken to people I've said if we get this signing over the line do you think you can come on the show um, so fingers crossed for more content coming on the YouTube channel but what I'm going to do I'm going to put all these into a big podcast for you now because they've been on the YouTube channel so those of you that don't watch the stuff on YouTube rather listen to it in your car and things like that you can listen to it now a big Big, big podcast of information, basically, of of players and and things like that and, and what sort of style we're going to play. Just loads of information. And then after that, what I'll be doing is I will be doing it individually. So when I get somebody on to chat about Samuel Bastian, I'll put the podcast up individually. And the same with Josh Cullen, should we get him over the line? Fingers crossed we do. But anyway... Like I said, I've already told you the order. Let's get into it. Here's the podcast where we find out what all these new signings are like and what our new manager is like. 
Hello everybody and welcome along to the Turfcast podcast YouTube channel. The summer transfer activity is finally underway. We've finally got somebody in. Uh, I should have said that the summer transfer incomings are underway because there's been a few outgoings, unfortunately, but the incomings are underway. Obviously, Scott Twine has joined from MK Dons for a reported fee to be in the region of four or five million pounds. Um, so we're joined by Liam from the MK1 podcast. How are you doing, mate? I'm good, mate. How are you? Yeah, really good. I'm a lot happier now. We've obviously got Twine in, wrapped up Twine, should I say? That's a proper dad joke. I've already used a few times and I'm sure I'll continue <laughs> to use it a few more times. Um, so talk to me about him then. Obviously, League One player of the season last season. You must be gutted to lose him. Yeah, I mean, it's all perspective, right? When when a player's getting 33 goal contributions in League One and not getting promoted, um, there's always a, a slight chance it's going to move on probably every single time. Um, yeah, listen, what, what can we say? He's a fantastic player, um, plays multiple positions, I'm sure we'll get into. And uh, all in all, really, really nice bloke who comes from a brilliant background. So it's easy to see. And I think his personality comes across really well in that interview he did for um, the, the club in terms of his introduction. I think that, that sort of personifies him quite well as a person and a player. Yeah, so talk to me about him as a, as a person then, because obviously you mentioned that interview and I were going to mention that. He comes across as someone who's just... Happy, just see, just seems happy to be where he is in life. Just seems a bit buzzing. You see, he, I, the the feeling I'm getting from that interview is that he's eager. You know, he's eager to get started. Is, would that be a fair comment? Yeah, I think he's uh, the perfect sign to cap off this new sort of era of Burnley Football Club. As as they said, really from all parties in terms of you know uh, companies in now. This is his first sort of signing is Twine, and yeah, I mean, I'm sure his family will be at away games. They've written the majority of our away games this season. Um, we spoke to the, his family in the regular. Rarely, um, regularly, a regular basis, basically, I'm trying to say, and um, yeah, really, really nice people. You can tell where he gets um, some of his some of his little quirks from, but yeah, and you know, he, he has the time to send those away fans after the game, and sort of, you know, I suppose, I suppose it's easy when he's playing that well, but yeah, I think I think overall, um, yeah, a really, really nice bloke, and you can you can see that you know his family really enjoying him his successes so far, and you know, even his agents. To be fair, they, you know, when he was at Swindon, he I think he had a bit of a rough time towards the start. He was struggling to get regular game time because everyone could see the talent, but no one was willing to essentially give him like 90 minutes every day, um, every yeah. sort of every Saturday, every Tuesday. Whereas I think MK Dons um, came in and said, you know, listen, you could go to the championship, but you'd like to give me a bench player. You can come to MK Dons, start 90 minutes every week and, um, you know, hope see what happens and you know what what's happened has happened and he's at Burnley now and I think uh I think the, the case may be the same here I, I was I was fairly I thought about a Premier League to be honest um definitely got the, the quality to do so um but it could be the case of you know maybe some clubs don't feel ready for that yet whereas Burnley can come in and have those of course the parachute payments come in which, which help with this deal but you yeah. know Kevin offer him that 90 minutes of football every week and uh hopefully give him the platform to shine yeah, fingers crossed. Obviously, you've already mentioned he can play multiple positions. Where, 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 what sort of role does he suit best then? Is it out-and-out out striker? Is it the number 10 floating sort of role? Is, is it like forward on the wing? What, what's best What's best place to play him? Yeah, it's, 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 he's played all three for Dons. Um, I think the biggest, I think the, the, the most we saw him was on the wing in like a 3-4-3 most of the time. Um, I think early on he was playing in the 10. Um, I, think he, I think his best position is the 10. Um, but for, I said a free roaming 10 is probably where he wants to play and where he is best. Um, okay, with the likes of Rodriguez and Barnes in front of him, and I'm sure maybe another few players also, he's going to have the supply there. So I think introducing him around that creativity is really, really good for him. 
Um, he can play as a shadow striker. Um, I wouldn't put that past him. I know Kirby's trying to introduce like a fluid 4-4-2 by the sounds of things. Yeah. So having uh, maybe him and Ashley Barnes or Jared Riguez on another striker, maybe a more physical one, have like a big man, sort of small man type combination would be a bad thing. And, you know, you see some of the goals he scored this season. I think he suits that shadow striker role. Um, so, yeah, he's a versatile player who I feel that if you did need to switch it up early on and say the 4-4-2 wasn't exactly working, um, he's the type of player you want in your squad because he can adapt to multiple systems and ultimately that talent he does have, you know, is going to suit everyone around him. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit difficult to predict how they're only going to play next season or should I say this coming season in a minute. Um, we will be having a Belgian journalist hopefully on the channel at some point this week or next week to try and get more about stuff like that. Um, if it's anything to go by how he played at Anderlecht, it was sort of like possession-based football, but it was 4-4-2. Sometimes he played 4-3-3. Do you think it's... You, you just said then it, it can suit multiple systems. Do you think it'd suit, you know, playing up in a in a front two behind, say, Rodriguez, Barnes or Vidra, something like that? Would he, would he suit that or would he be more suited for a different formation, do you think? I'd prefer him at a 4-4-2 where he is playing shadow striker role. I think for me, right out on the wing is probably where I don't really like him in particular. I don't think he's naturally the quickest player in the world. Yes, he's very elusive and very tricky with the ball, but in terms of raw pace, he's probably not got that. So I wouldn't say if he just switched to 4 3 3, unless it's inside forwards, you're probably going to struggle to see his full impact. I think you're yeah. much better off keeping it nice and narrow with him, let him be in the pocket, let him do his thing, really. And um, of course, as you know, set pieces are a specialty. So if you get fouls in around the box, he's going to be the man to take your free kicks for you. Yeah, well, I've made a note here. Free kicks. Well, I put best attributes <laughs> question mark and then free kicks. That brings me nicely onto that one. I saw one that he scored against Sheffield Wednesday last season. Um, yeah. A little sub, a little footnote to that is he scored that against Bailey Peacock Fowler, who of course is, at, is our goalkeeper as well. So that'd be interesting. Um, so what are his best attributes? And you've mentioned the free kicks. First of all, why are the free kicks so good? Um, I mean, all from speaking to guys who raised me at previous clubs like Newport, Swindon, um, of course, Don's also, you know. All, all we can put down to is just hard work. And I think it's easy to say that every player has hard work installed in them and you have to be a hardworking player to get to the top of English football. Of course you do. But I feel with Twine, everything that I've heard from him is that it's so much more than just, you know, turning up to training every week, putting in some couple of hours in the gym. It's it's a lot about an, an analysis and studying every, basically, I mean, Lee Manning spoke about, it, you know, when on the coach back from games, say they're at Atkinson or Morecambe, you know, he's straight on the iPad with Liam in terms of analysing his game and where he can improve and his stats, things like that. So he's a relentless worker. I think that's the big thing about him. You know, you can clearly see his rise for English football throughout this COVID period and coming out of it now has been astronomical. You know, he's played non-league a few seasons ago. So, you know, it's, I think I think that obviously, he's, of course, he's got talent. You know, no one gets anywhere about talent, really. Um, and I think he's, you know, especially this season in particular, his breakout year, he showcased that and, I think he's a big game player. You know, I think a lot of the times this season have been on Sky, you know, Plymouth away, uh, Sheffield Wednesday at home, maybe we lost that game, but he's had a decent performance. Um, a few others, you know, we've seen him perform well on TV. Um, not saying big games are just on TV, but I think overall he's just a high-impact player. And we saw the same with Matt O'Reilly, who of course now is now a Celtic player. You know, th those two in midfield were the best two players in the league and they were together. And it was easy to see how, you know, O'Reilly's creativity and Twine's just explosiveness on the ball. Um, really combined well and I feel that you know, Burnley's team is quite similar in that sense so yeah I think it's a brilliant fit for him and I'm glad he's got his move that he wanted 
What what other attributes is he good at? Because I've seen a couple of long range goals and things like that. I think he scored, he scored another one against Bailiff. I might be wrong on that one, but um, is he good at he did, sort yeah. of like arriving? Yeah, yeah, I thought he did. Yeah, is yeah. he good at sort of like arriving late into the box and, and having long range efforts? Or, or is there any other attributes we can look out for that he's good at? Um, I don't think he's much of a arriving late in the box person. I think he's more of a person who just sits sits on the edge a little bit, a bit of a dead ball specialist, as we said. Um. I mean, it's not, even, it's not even dead ball, really. It's not a long shot specialist in general. Hmm. Um, I think he's got a very... He can play from deep also, which is quite a key thing for him. Um, so I wouldn't say... You wouldn't say, you wouldn't say he suits a 4-4-2 deep type of player. But if you are looking to convert to maybe more of a um, a 4 3 one potentially, um, I feel like he could definitely be a bit of a deeper player. And maybe if, if there's no position in a 10 where someone else is playing, uh, i say Twine could definitely pick out a pass from deeper roles and... Obviously, the championship's a different beast to League One. Um, so, you know, maybe he's better off being suited more towards being in the most familiar roles, like the 10, like the shadow striker role, as opposed to being deeper. But, yeah, his criteria is off the charts. And, you know, it's hard to find a weakness in his game, which is a really, really good sign, especially if you're going to spend you know, the money that you have spent on him. Um, you want a player who's fairly polished but still has room to grow. And that's definitely the case with Twine. I think for now, it's just a case of him proving it at a high level. And uh, yeah. hopefully getting you guys to the Premiership and activating our add-on clauses, which would be nice. <laughs> yeah, well, we'd, we'd take that, mate. So everyone would be happy. <laughs> um, you mentioned weaknesses there. I do want to talk about that. Is is there any weaknesses? You said it's hard to find, any. Um, I mean, he gets fouled a lot. Obviously, for how good that's, he is, he, yeah, he just really pick up just, just really pick up injuries, which is from what we've noticed. Obviously, a really good thing. So yeah. I don't, don't remember being injured at all. Actually, he might miss a few games just just due to rest and you know just needing that rest basically, but. Yeah, from, from our time anyway, he had no injuries, so that's a good sign. He can take a bit of a beating, but of course, you're going to want the players around him to um, avoid that for him. Um, and of course, you know, due to his size, you know, I wouldn't say he's a particularly weak player, but of course, kind of against some teams in championships, he can get bullied a little bit. But yeah. listen, I, I think I think his core strength overall is really, really solid for a player of his size. And I don't think it's that much of a weakness, but well, considering player comps anyway. But no, I think overall, it's, it's just... Nothing that you'd say is not a glaring weakness, which is obviously, as I said to you, a really, really good sign. Um, but there's a few things that I think people will notice straight away that hopefully he can prove people wrong on. Yeah. What's it like in the air then? I mean, I know we've already said that Burnley are probably going to play a little bit different uh, this season. But it's, if, if he came into the Burnley side on the dash, it probably <laughs> wouldn't suit it very well. What if he's not very good in the air? Yeah. I mean, off the top of my head right now, I can't think I saw much of him going for headers at all. Um, not that he needed to, because the MK on the style of football is is very much uh, keeping it on the ground, um, yeah. progressive football. It has a purpose rather than. I mean, there is don't get me wrong. There's times we lumped it up to Conor Wickham last season. He brought it down, but no, you, you certainly won't be seeing Twine um, going up for corners. He'll be the one taking them, basically. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, if he's up front with Ashley Barnes, we all know he's going to be the one throwing <laughs> his elbows around and bringing it down. Anyway, if if we do go down that route um you mentioned already you think the championship's a bit of a different beast i mean if anyone can make the step up it's the league one player of the year but do you think he will be capable of making the step up yeah listen i think he's definitely definitely um talking goal contributions definitely a 20 goal contributions player in there um of course give down to to company to put in the right system you'd like mm -hmm. to think because his marquee signing that he's going to do that um and yeah listen there's, there's a whole bunch of talent in that burnley team already that i'm sure he'll um, you know, Joe well, well with for the facilities there. It's his first time, I said himself, it's the first time really where he's had a proper like facility to go to um, on like a permanent basis. So that's, gonna, that's always going to help him. Has a bit more of a home this time, whereas 
Yeah, Milton Keynes is not really trading around at the moment. There's still plans to build that into the club. And of course, Swindon is Swindon, which is uh, not the best place in the world. So, but yeah, listen, I think I think he's in a perfect spot here. And I think if he has the right culture around him and the right people around him, which I think is a good start with company and based off the new era of the club, it's, it's a good sign. So yeah, if, if, the, if the right culture is there, he'll definitely smash it. How far do you think he can go? You've already mentioned you think he can get to the Premier League. Is, is Europe maybe on the cards at some point in his career or are we just getting a bit ahead of ourselves here? No, I, I generally, I mean, what is he? He's 22 now, going to 23. Uh, he's still very, very young. Um, you know, if you look at the likes of you know, James Ward-Prowse, for example, I feel like he definitely follow a similar career path to him. Um, of course, hopefully he's, it's, um, his progression is a bit quicker than that. But um, yeah, I, I think definitely, you know, Europe and England is certainly on the cards for him. He's just got to keep up. I'm sure, I'm sure Scott will keep up with the terms of his mentality and how he plays on the pitch. It's just, uh, you know, making sure that he continues to use the same advice that I got on this far and um, ultimately, yeah. you know, trust his gut. And I think he's in a pretty good spot here. Um, so, yeah, but I suppose the proof's in the pudding when it comes to playing 46 games in the championship season. Um, as arguably, you know, maybe not one of the top two or three team, two or three teams initially, but a team that's definitely looking to get straight back up to the Premier League. And uh, yeah, but I looks of it, you know, all the other signings that you guys are looking to make, you know, he'll uh, he'll do well. Yeah, fingers crossed we can get them through the door as well. Um, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, another thing I'm going to ask as well. So, like you've mentioned there, not not the top two, three teams initially. From the outside looking in, always good to get another fan's opinion on this. How, how do you think the new sort of like era is going to go at Burnley? Do you think it's it's potential? Because obviously, companies coming in, he's maybe not been in the you know this level before of management, but you know, he's a, he's a born winner. I'm kind of expecting us to maybe have a slowish start as he gets used to it, but then kick on. Yeah. I can't see how we're not there or thereabouts, top six. Um, how do you think we'll get on? Yeah, with the times you guys are making and obviously the course of players that you'd like to think are going to stay now, basically where we are in the window. Yeah, I think we do well. Uh, I think top six is very realistic. Um, of course, Huddersfield, for me, are always going to be a team that are going to be up there regardless of what happens with their transfers. Um, the team that always you know, fails at the final hurdle, whether they deserved it or not on the day, is going to do well next season. Um then of course you've got like Sheffield United who are I think this season are gonna do well. Um but yeah, I think championship, right? It's a bit of a lottery. Um you never know who's yeah. gonna do you, you can you can say we can sit over like and say, you know, Burnley are gonna finish second and Sheffield United will finish first. Like <laughs> it's a complete lottery. Um all I can say is that yeah, I think Burnley will do well and the plays that they're signing, especially from you know, League One and I think that it's a, it's a usually a good sign when the recruitment goes like that and you know if you if you start fast, brilliant. If it takes a bit longer, okay. I, I think as long as you're thereabouts through before the, before the World Cup break, essentially, I think you'll be okay. Yeah, well, hopefully we are because the last game before the World Cup break is Blackburn, so we need to be winning that oh, one. It's a big uh, game. Yeah, I know. I can't imagine losing that one and then having to endure Southgate for for a month. So it's not <laughs> not going to be a good month before Christmas, that is it. Um, last question from me. Obviously, the deal we mentioned it already. Fee to be reported around four million, five million. That could be with add-ons. I'm not sure on the exact ins and outs of it. Are you happy with that as a fan base, or do you think you know we've got a bit of a bargain? What are your thoughts on the actual deal? Yeah, I mean, if you believe the rumored package that's been um, well shared amongst the Don's fan base, anyway. Um, yeah, it's, it's a pretty good deal for both parties. Um, yeah, I think it, as our as our sporting director mentioned, I think it benefits the club in the short term. So, are you um, you know the, the transfer fee that we've been given by Burnley? Um, and then, of course, the long term when it comes to uh, sell-on fees and, of course, add-ons if you guys get promoted. So, yeah, yeah. I think it's a brilliant deal for both clubs. Um, I definitely feel that Twine's got sell-on potential also in case Burnley, you know, don't 
well, if it, uh, it's a shame if they don't, but if they don't get to the level which they wanted to in two to three seasons. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's a great deal. And I don't see how, it feels scary to say this, but I don't see how it doesn't work for him. Um, I just feel that he's, he's picked the right club here. And he had other options um, to our knowledge that he could have joined. But I feel this one, this option here in Burnley feels like the best option for him. I'm glad he agrees in that also. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what you saw, but I saw that Hull were interested. Um, there was rumours that Leicester were a Premier League club that were briefly interested, but obviously that, that might have been a little bit too far originally. Yeah, there's a few Premier League clubs that um, were sniffing around from what I've heard. But yeah, I've, I mean, I, I do think that this this Burnley option was the best one. Obviously, yeah, Hull, I mean, if he went to Hull, I'd been like, bloody hell, like Scott, like what are you playing at? But <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think Burnley's it's a team that, you know, as I said, they're going to be challenging this season um, and with the other signs that you sound like you're going to make fairly soon. Um, yeah, it should be a good season for you boys. Yeah, well, fingers crossed it is. Good luck to us. Good luck to you. Just want yeah, to give everyone a shout out where they can find you if they do want to listen to some sort of MK1 podcasts. Yes, yeah, so MK1 podcasts on, on our social media, on all your favourite podcast platforms. Of course, we chat with Milton Keynes. So, yeah, I imagine we haven't reacted to the uh, Twine news yet, but uh, if you want to hear a bit more about it from our perspective, uh, listen to that next episode. But uh, yeah, that's where we are. Yeah, definitely. I'll be listening to that one anyway. But um, yeah, thanks for joining us, mate. And I, I normally say at this point, we'll see you at some point during the season, but unless we get us, get, get get each other in the cup again, like we did was it last season, yeah. season four, I can't remember. Uh, yeah, it's COVID um, season. Yeah, it's a few seasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So fingers crossed. Good luck for the season anyway, mate. It's been, been good having you on the podcast. Yeah, you too, mate. Best of luck. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Turfcast Podcast YouTube channel with me, Joel Redmond. And this week we are joined, well, it's not, it's not even a weekly podcast anymore, is it? Because we're making that many signings. We're joined by Andrew from the Every Step of the Way, the Stoke City Podcast. How are you doing, mate? I'm not too bad. How about you? Yeah, I'm really, really good. Thank you. Now that Burnley are finally starting to make some signings, Taylor Harewood Bellis comes in. He's our fourth signing of the summer. We've had to skip CJ Egan Riley for now. I can't get a City fan on. I'm trying. Um, we'll get one sorted soon enough. It might just be a couple of days. But we'll do Taylor Harewood Bellis now, who, of course, comes from City anyway. But he spent the second half of last season on loan at Stoke, I think, playing around 22 games. I've just got his Wikipedia page up, mate. Yeah, 22 games on loan at Stoke last season. That's the most he's played for any club. Um, how did he do at Stoke then? Did he did he do a good job? Did he do a bad job? What was he like? He was very strong as a centre-back. For the young age that he is, he showed a lot of maturity. He, Even though he was a lone player, he said when he came, he wanted to be treated like a player that's been there for years and that's what he showed. It's obviously a shame that we couldn't get him back for more of a loan spell because he, he fit our system so well. Yeah. What sort of system is it that you play then? What sort of system does he fit? It it depended on who we were playing. Michael O'Neill chopped and changed a lot. We played like four five one. You had a four two three one, but we mostly played a five two three or a five three two. And he'd always play left side of that back five or back four because we had Ben Wilmot who would play on the right side. Yeah, and he came in mainly because. We, I think, got rid of one or two centre-backs in January. We had Harry Sutar out injured, who we bought in Jaggy Alka for, and he just seemed to fit in really, really well. So is it a back three that he's better suited in, or is it sort of like the four across the back? doesn't really matter. He just he just fits a defence, because obviously he's played for Man City in a few games. He's yeah. had training with Man City's first team, 
And when when you see him play, you'll know that he strives for the highest quality that he can get. Yeah, fair enough. Of course, he's the England 21 captain, so I think that says a lot about him. What sort of defender is he then? Because, of course, we've been used to seeing James Tarkovsky and Ben Mee at the back for quite a long time. Now, it's a shame that they've both gone, but it's a new era at Burnley Football Club. They're both sort of like big, old-school defenders, both of them, really. That's probably the best way I could describe them. They'll be strong in the air. They'll throw some tackles in. They might even break some legs along the way. Um, <laughs> but it, a Taylor doesn't seem to strike me as that type of defender. Like He might be good at his tackling and heading, but he, he's quite comfortable on the ball as well. Is, is that fair to say? He's very comfortable on the ball. He can carry it. I remember he carried it 20, 30 yards a few times throughout the season. But depending on the situation is the type of tackle he'll put in. If he's last man and he knows he can get the ball, he'll, he'll fly a, you could call it a Brexit tackle in. But otherwise, <laughs> well, it's a Stoke tackle as well. It's the <laughs> yeah, the to Rex, it's into it. But um, nah, he's he's very sensible with his decision making. He's like I said, his maturity is top level. He's very very conservative in what he does as well. He, if he doesn't have to throw his body on the line, he won't do it. But he, he, it's pretty tough to get past him. Yeah, fair enough. Of course. Yours isn't the only loan spell he's had. He, he, the last last season he started at Anderlecht, of course, also under company. Uh, and uh, the season before, he spent 19 games on loan at Blackburn Rovers. Don't worry, Taylor, we all make mistakes. So it's it's one of them. Like It feels it feels like he, he knows the championship. Obviously, you're a seasoned championship fan now. That probably that seems weird to say to a Stoke City fan when, you know, when you're in the Premier League alongside us now. for so long. Yeah, it's, it's exactly. It's, I can't believe you've been there for that long. It, it's mad, but... When he came in, did you feel like this kid knows the championship? And now he's even got more experience. He's got an extra 22 games there. Is it fair to say he knows what the championship's about? Yeah, he knows what the championship's about. Obviously, he had his loan spell at Bur- not at Burnley. Well, he's having one now at Blackburn. But when he was at Antwerp, he also played in the Conference League, which, you know, for a player of his age on a loan spell is very, very good. And a yeah. funny story on why he was frozen out of the Antwerp side was that when he was on international duty with England's under-21s, he didn't get back on time for a training session. And then he just was on the bench for the rest of his loan spell. So I'm kind of glad that happened in a way because he managed to see such a great player, you know, come in. But it also shows that the quality that of players that we're going to have to sign are going to be so much lower because of the championship. And, you know, all the, we like we used to have Ryan Shawcross and Robert Hoot at the back. Yeah. Now we've got a back three of Harry Sutar, Ben Wilmot, and it's probably going to be Aidan Flint or Phil Jagielka, which isn't bad at all for the championship. But it's not the quality that, you know, if you get promoted, it's going to really keep you there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Ben Mee and James Tarkovsky, you know, I'm probably going to mention them quite a bit over the course of the season, especially comparing them to central defenders because we're signing a lot of central defenders at the minute. They'd go forward, they'd score a few goals with the head, you know, from corners, things like that. Is that something he can really do? Because I've looked at it. Does he go forward, for example? Because I've looked at it, he's not actually scored. He didn't score at Blackburn, he didn't score at Anderlecht, he didn't score for you. So does he go forward for corners? I don't think he really does. He's more that centre-back because he's got quite a bit of pace to him that, you know, if they are going to try and counter, he can just stay back and make sure that nothing goes wrong. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Of course, we've mentioned he's England under-21 captain, of course. He belongs to City still. You know, who knows? We might end up buying him at the end of the, end of the season. We'll see, uh, depending on where we are as a club and where he is as a player. Um, but it, it, do you feel like he's one of these players that is, is sort of like destined for the top? Because we feel like in Nathan Collins, of course, who you'll know very well, um, is an absolute Rolls-Royce of a defender. And I, I do believe that Collins will be playing for a top six side come the end of his career, potentially playing in the Champions League and stuff like that. He's a very, very good defender. Do you think it's fair to say that it'd be a similar sort of ceiling for, for Howard Bellis? 
Yeah, I'd say so. Obviously, Collins and Howard Bellis, they're playing at a similar sort of level at the same age, which is really yeah. good. And if Howard Bellis has the correct development at Burnley, I don't see why he'd challenge, you know, James, not James Collins, Nathan Collins. And yeah. even Nathan Collins and Ateo Howard Bellis in the back is a scary combination for me. It is very scary. Obviously, we've seen how Nathan Collins is as a player and we, we were quite upset when we had to let him go, but our financial fair play situation was, it was absolutely shocking. And the only way that we were going to get around that is by selling him. And we had a policy that when we let a player go, however money, however much money or however much wages that frees up, we bring someone in. And with Taylor Howard Bellis, you bought one player in and we didn't bring anyone else in until we moved someone else on. And Michael O'Neill's made some good signings with that. And Howard Bellis is definitely within the championship season, top five players that I think we've brought in since. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. It's um, obviously there's some rumors flying about that Collins still could leave yet. I think mm-hmm. it'd be silly for us to, to let him leave now. We've only had him for a season. He didn't, you know, he wasn't even the first choice at that point. And now it's, now it's going to be. I, I, I do believe it will be Collins and Harold Bellis, the, the centre-back pairing. Obviously, we'll see how we get on. We've signed Luke McNally as well. We've brought in Egan Riley from City, so we'll see. We could end up losing Collins yet. Uh, and, of course, we still have Kevin Long. Um, but everyone who listens to this podcast regularly knows uh, I don't think he's quite good enough, even for the Championship. So I do think Collins and Harold Bellis would be a very, very good centre-back pairing. But you've just mentioned there you find it sort of like scary, like our defence, that sort of like obviously comparing it to yours. Do you think then... Say, for example, if we brought in... Um, it's looking like we might bringing in a new keeper because, of course, we've lost Pope. Apparently, mm-hmm. we're going to let Hennessy go as well, which I think is a strange one, but we'll see. Um, but with the defence of Charlie Taylor, Collins, Harewood Bellis uh, and Conor Roberts, do you think that's a, a very good defence in, in, a, in a championship that you're quite used to now? It is a, it's a very, very strong defence. And I don't want to put downers on things, but it is a very strong team. And when we first got relegated, we were... We were tipped with the best odds to win yeah, the whole thing. And we had the strongest team ever going and we finished 16th. It just shows how you, you can't underestimate the championship at all. Yeah, yeah. If one thing goes wrong, it will start a domino effect. And we've had that for the past four seasons. And yeah, we're hoping it's fifth time lucky. <laughs> yeah, it's. I, I do remember that because I was still working in sort of like journalism at the time. And I, I was... At a, Radio station in Leeds, and your first mm-hmm. game was away to Leeds, and they yeah. absolutely murdered you. It would be Elsa's first game as manager. They just yeah. absolutely be Elsa bowled you. They just murdered you. And I see what you're saying there about the domino effect, one thing going wrong. But of course, I mentioned you've said that you're still in the championship for you've been in the championship for five years. You said don't underestimate it. From the outside looking in, I feel like the championship again. This is probably me underestimating it, but I don't feel like it is as strong as it used to be. Is that is that a fair comment? Like, I, obviously, I'm going to throw shade at Blackburn. But the fact yeah. that they were top for so long last season tells me that it wasn't as good as it used to be. I do feel like there's a few stronger teams in there this season. Your Norwiches, your Watfords, us. There, I think we were there thereabouts. Then you've got Middlesbrough and Sheffield United as well, Huddersfield. Is it is it still a good league or is it not as good as it used to be? How do you feel the championship? It is very very strong because you can go into a game and you don't know what's going to go on. You could predict your team to win two 0 and they lose three 0 I yeah. think there's been a few games this season we've had where we were on a winning streak, winning against the top, top teams. We beat West Brom 3-1. And then we had a few games against Peterborough, Barnsley and Cardiff and picked up two points from it. It was one of them where we expected, you know, seven points, that, that would be a good target. And then we're coming back from three away games in the space of seven days, having two points and seeing us fall down from eighth to 14th. 
Yeah. That's the thing which makes it so tough is that you lose two games, you can drop six, seven places. Yeah, and of course it's it's Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, a lot of it, isn't it? That that's that's the one thing I I have not missed over the last six years, I'll be honest. Like, don't get me wrong, I love going on the turf and I love going on away days, but since we were last in the championship, I've had a little boy who's now four and a half. You know, I've I, I work three jobs, I do this as well. So I'm quite busy as it is. Yeah. So to be able to go on the turf, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, or away games, it's, it's going to be difficult to fit in. And then when you get to the winter, it's like the 15th of January and you're sat on the turf. So, but that's what I mean. I'm saying it's a slog as a fan. So what I'm trying to say is it's a slog for the players as well, isn't it? Playing so yeah. much. Is it going to be tough, do you think, for Burnley to re-acclimatise, to, 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 to play in so much and playing in some tough conditions in tough games? It's extremely tough to acclimatise, obviously. Your squad size will increase to what it was in the Premier League and we had to do the same. We bought probably 10, 11 players in at our first transfer window. Mm. But that's because you've obviously got league games, you've got the FA Cup games, you've got Carabao Cup games and it all totals up. Because if you go far in the Carabao Cup and the FA Cup, You've got an extra 10, 12 games to be playing throughout the season and you will see injuries getting picked up because it's all that's been happening to us. I don't know whether it's a Stoke thing, but we've had all first team players getting injured. Normally, you have maybe two players out at once and then you have a few weeks off and then one gets one. We've had three or four first team players out for months on end and that's. Yeah. I think that's what's made us fall down and that's why we bought in Howard Bellis and a few others, but Howard Bellis, when he came in, he was going to be a starter and he always was a starter. He he can play versatile. He can play at right back as well, which he did as well. Hmm. Interesting. I, I do like, because uh, um, Egan Riley, apparently he's, he's quite versatile as well. So we'd, apparently with the way that Vincent Company plays, is he has different sort of defences that, that go from like a four at the back to when we have possession or when we don't have possession. I can't remember off the top of my head, turning into a three at the back with someone in midfield. It sounds all a little bit complicated, to be honest. But that's another thing I want to pick your brains on. Vincent Company's obviously come in as Burnley manager. I do feel like we are signing players because players finally you know, Matt want to play for Burnley again. I do feel like the last two years, like because we lost Ryan Christie to Celtic last season um, and another lad whose name I can't remember off the top of my head to Bournemouth when we were in the Premier League and obviously Bournemouth wasn't. So it felt like players didn't really want to play for Burnley because of the dash style of play, which, you know, there was nothing wrong with it. It did so well for so long, but eventually it just, you know, petered out and didn't really work. So do you feel like players are going to want to play for Burnley, you know, now that we've got Vincent Company, Because I think, obviously, Harewood Bellis, he's mentioned it in his interview. Egan Riley has, Scott Twine has. So, fingers crossed, you know, people are actually going to want to play for us. Yeah, Vincent Company. if you've seen videos of him online with his team talks, he's, he's, ex he's yeah, he is him, very yeah. good with it. He's also very harsh in the way that he explains things. He's He likes to motivate the players. And, obviously, Harewood Bellis coming from Man City, he's going to have those links with Vincent Company, But, it's also the fact that when Howard Bellis was at Anderlecht, he played with Vincent Company when he was manager yeah. as well. So yeah. it also shows that he's already played under him. He knows the system that he likes to play. And players like attracting Scott Twine with so much attention he had and so many clubs wanting him. And Burnley coming out on top, it's it shows that any club could have had him, but what style of play does he want? He wants a team that want to get promoted on the first time round. And he wants to get to the Prem for his career, and Vincent Company will do that. Yeah, fingers crossed. It's, it's so weird as a Burnley fan seeing people actually want to play for us and see the sign. We signed four players by the by the by the first of July. You know what I mean? Normally we're yeah. bringing in Dale Stevens, who were thirty five at the time on the, on, the, <laughs> on the last day, and that was in the Premier League last day of the transfer yeah. window. It, it's it's just balmy. Um You mentioned that Taylor's good with his feet, and he and he carried the ball out. Is that sort of like the, the thing that you'll expect from him at, at Burnley then, and the Vincent Company style of play? We're obviously we're not going to expect the the Tarky and Ben Mee long 
punts upfield to, to Chris Wood or Valtvegos anymore. It's going to be defenders bringing the ball out and getting it into midfield. Yeah, well, it depends on what the play style is because Harvard Bellis with Stoke, you know, Stoke's a long ball team and we'd always mm. hit it long, but we've sort of gone a bit backwards from that and we only did that if the defensive line's playing a high line and Harvard Bellis, he's got accuracy on his passing and obviously he makes a few mistakes like every player does, but you could tell from the first game he came in that he knows what he's doing because he felt like he'd been there for years. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. It, it, it sounds good that obviously he's coming to Stoke, well, good from Burnley point of view. He's gone into Stoke um, when he'd only only had not two kind of broken loans at Anderlecht and Blackburn. Um, and then he's gone into Stoke and he's played quite regular. He's played 22 games there and, he, and he's slotted in pretty well at Stoke already. So another 22 games under his belt. So fingers crossed he slots into Burnley just as well as he did for Stoke. Final question from me, because um, we are getting towards the 20-minute mark. Um, I always like to ask fans, especially fans that have been in the Championship for so long, and again, it feels weird saying that to a Stoke fan, how, how you think that we're going to do this season? Because there's been a, there was a lot of doom and gloom around Burnley fans when we first went down and all the players started leaving. Not many people liked the... the well, I say not many people. A certain type of Burnley fan didn't like the chairman. Um, but, you know, people are coming in now. The manager's come in. There's optimism starting. The book is still not really fancy. As we're 14-1 to 1 to win the league, which I, I found staggering. Um, but how do you think we're going to do? Well, I think always for a Premier League team who's come down, who've established themselves at the time to be a Premier League team, that it's a it's a top six finish easily. But you look at some teams that come down in the past and Watford have just scraped it when they came down last. I think they finished fifth yeah. or sixth by a couple of points. And they had a very, very strong team. It's the same with a Norwich. Norwich will probably, you know, go straight back up because that's what yeah, they, they do. Fulham, do. And, Norwich, yeah, Fulham do. and Norwich never play in the same league anyway. <laughs> so if if you do, say, finish seventh or eighth and you do stay down, you'll be playing probably Fulham anyway. So when Fulham come down, they don't sell players. And if you can establish yourself to have a strong first season in the Championship and it comes that you are having a second one, don't, don't make drastic decisions hmm. because... Like with us, yeah, we had to sell Nathan Collins on in that for financial fair play. But if we somehow managed to keep him on for another year, I, I can't imagine how much we would have sold him on for. Yeah, that's that, that, that's that's exactly what I'm saying with Collins now. Like, if we sell him now, we might get thirty million. If we keep him, you know, and I think you've probably got a large percentage of that anyway. Uh, if we keep him for an, yeah, exactly. If we keep him for another year keep him for another year and then go up, then he's not going to be sold again then because we're back in the Prem, so why move? Then we have him another year. Could we get in 60 million? I, I honestly believe uh, he, he will be one of the best defenders uh, in, uh, on the British Isles. Yeah. Between us as well, we've done Eric yeah. Peters, Phil Bardsley. Yeah. God, yeah. There's been, there's been some that well. haven't worked out that well, Peter yeah. Johnny Walters, you stole two of our best strikers. <laughs> well, they, 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 were, they weren't good for us. Uh, exactly. So that, that, you, you can take some... their career into yeah, yeah, you can take some solace in that, mate. They're not good for us. <laughs> Bosley and Peters, not not the best sort of like technically gifted, but they came and they were two sort of like cult heroes in a way. It's a you shame that they're too often to a two-pence piece, though. Yeah, yeah. I, I, like, I like Eric as well. He didn't play often because of Charlie Taylor, but I, yeah. I, do, I do like Eric. Bardo would say as well, he didn't play much because of Lawton and then and then Connor Roberts, but you knew that when Bardo were playing, a few a few studs were going to be shown and a few a few cuts were going to be yeah. be on uh, people's legs. I remember him starting with Rashford in in Premier League. The year I think yeah. it was the week that Rashford launched this uh, big campaign about feeding hungry yeah. kids and Bar Bars is there repping that you bastard. But yeah, there's been a few. Um, but yeah, that's it from me, mate. Thanks 
for, for coming on. It's been a good chat to get more inf- information about Burnley's fourth summer signing. Like I said, we will try and get a City fan on to do CJ Egan Riley. I've messaged a few to no avail. I always found it difficult to get City fans on last year for the pre-game and post-game shows. I don't know what it is about Man City fans. They just never seem interested. We um, but before I do go, yeah, well, thankfully we're in this championship group now, which yeah. I'm still offended that I've been put in. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't think I'll be struggling to find pretty much anyone this year, so that's good, and that's obviously how I got you. Um, but I just want to quickly let everyone know where they can find you and, and your podcast, so if they want to give it a listen, they can they can go and listen to it. Yep, so we're on Spotify, Anchor, Apple Apple's Podcasts, Amazon, always every step along the way. Um, if you want to follow the Twitter page, it's at every step along on Twitter, and we have got one or two more socials coming out, which will be obviously used. We've got a Facebook page as well, so we're... We're pretty busy. There's no rest yeah. for us. Yeah, tell me about it. I, I, I thought I thought to myself, I'll do a video every time Burnley sign a player. Uh, you know, I might end up doing four videos all summer. It's, it's no, it what, is. The, the, yeah, this the third of July. This is my third video already. I'm can't I can't call. I have to do one for companies also. It's before Earth. I'm gonna to have to do one for Egan Riley. Then we've got two <laughs> standardly aged players coming in. Apparently, I'm gonna get a standardly aged fan on. Who knows? We'll see. But, you know, but thanks for joining us. <laughs> we have an English group. Yeah, exactly. I don't think I am. Uh, but thanks for joining us, mate. It's been a pleasure. And I'm sure we'll see you again at some point during the season for the pre-game shows and stuff like that. All right, see you in a bit. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Turfcast with me, Joel Redmond. And obviously through the door, again, we've got another new signing. It's Luke McNally from Oxford, <laughs> and I'm joined by George Elek. I hope I'm pronouncing that last name right from the Not The Top 20 pod, who's an Oxford fan. And you also do some punditry as well for, for Sky and things like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, Not The Top 20 podcast is our podcast, which covers all things EFL. Uh, we started it six years ago when Burn- Burnley were just getting promoted out of the championship. So yeah, a lot of your fans wouldn't have had the opportunity to check it out. But yeah, um, do a bit of punditry for Sky, BBC, EFL and Quest as it was, uh, but no longer. And um, and yeah, looking forward to having Burnley back in the EFL, even though you guys are probably a bit gutted to be here. Yeah, I'm going to say, I want to say, well, it's, it's one of them, obviously, I've gutted <laughs> to be in the league, but now I'm kind of looking forward to it. That The Premier League, you know... It, it's one of them. You enjoy it. You want to be the best you can be. You want to play against the best. But there's only so much you can take, you know, finishing 17th, 18th and things like that. Yes, we had a few good seasons in there as well. But last year, I think I went to two or three away games. You know, I just weren't feeling it as mm. much anymore. So I'm looking forward to, to to pretty much going to pretty much every single away game. We get, we, work, we get a lot of Norwich things. fans. We get a lot of Norwich yeah. fans who get in touch with us saying that they now actually prefer being in the championship because they like going to games, scoring goals, winning games, yeah. rather than turning up every week expecting to get battered. So uh, maybe you yeah. guys enjoy it. Fingers crossed. It's one of them, though, isn't it? I think Norwich probably expect to do well again, whereas some Burnley fans will. That's a bit of a debate. We'll see what happens. But um, they do well every time they come down. So if we're 17th at Christmas, you know, I'm I'm not going to be that bothered that, you know, Rotherham can go to Norwich, for example, and and win. You know, anyone could beat anyone on the day. But obviously, I mentioned you're an Oxford fan. uh, So no one better to talk to us about our new signing. What are your original thoughts on the fact that Burnley bought him? What are your thoughts as an Oxford fan on losing him? disappointed um you know for, for those um Burnley fans who, who don't follow Oxford which I'm guessing is most of them um our recruitment model has been very good over the last kind of uh decade or so um you know uh, it all started with our league two team under Michael Appleton the best part of 10 years ago which included players like Kimar Roof and John Lundstrom and George Baldock in league two who obviously all went on to play um at a very high level um and that's been continued under Carl Robinson especially with centre-backs you know we've had so many centre-backs coming through in recent seasons uh, Rob Atkinson, who's now at Bristol City. Uh, Rob Dickey, who's now at QPR. Curtis Nelson, um, who, who's now at Cardiff. Um, plenty of players who've basically gone on to be top-end championship players. 
And probably in the case, I think, of Dickey and, and Atkinson will go further than that. And definitely in McNally's case as well. Um, it feels to me like the McNally transfer has come at quite a frustratingly early point in his career for Oxford fans. You know, he only joined 18 months ago. He, he didn't play for the first six months because it was a case of getting him in the door and getting him ready for first team football. And even last season, even though he was, as we'll get on to, a, a brilliant player for us when he did play, because he'd come over from effectively part-time football in uh, at St. Pat's uh, in Ireland, he was very much eased into the fold. I think he only played 30-odd games. Um, from a, a business point of view, it's the best bit of recruitment I think we've probably ever done. You know, we signed a player for a five-figure fee and 18 months later, 30 games later, we, we sold him for, for two million plus. Um, I'm sure both the percentage of the next fee and also a, a cut um, if you guys, or when you guys do return to the Premier League, it's normally a case of when rather than if for, for teams who get relegated to given the parachute payments. Um, so yeah, disappointed. I mean, a, a lot of Oxford fans are really annoyed about it. A lot of Oxford fans... Um, because he was so good and because we probably haven't seen the best of him yet. A lot of Oxford fans would say, uh, why are we, you know, if we have genuine promotion ambitions, why are we selling a player? However, in Oxford's situation, uh, we we rent our ground from a, a previous owner who isn't very popular, Mr. Kassam, and he charges extortionate rent for our, our privilege to play there. So, so long as that's the case, sadly, we have to cash in um, when, when clubs come in and offer big money for our players. And crucially, McNally wanted to leave. And I think when you're a club in League One who have a, who have a reputation for, for bringing through young talent and being a stepping stone to the future, if you start standing in the way of that talent when they want to move on, it's going to make the next Rob Dickey, Rob Atkinson, uh, Luke Manali probably think twice if they, if they want to go to Oxford, if they get a reputation for not letting them move on. So, yeah, I, I'm, I understand it. I'm sad we're not going to see him again. I'm very excited to see how he gets on. And I think, in, you know, as I tweeted yesterday, it, it feels to me like a proper transfer where it's, it's good business for Burnley. It's good business for Oxford and it's a brilliant move for, for McNally. Yeah, you've touched on it already briefly, but you said he joined from St. Pat's and he didn't play much, if at all, in the first six months and then you were sort of like eased into it. Is that because he were taking time to adjust it and perhaps he wasn't quite up to speed yet or, or is he just not really get the chance in the first six months? He was never going to play. Um, Rob Atkinson you know, had made that position alongside Elliot Moore his own. Um, he wasn't brought in. He, he was purely brought in as a... You know, a succession plan for when one of those two left. That was it. Um, and, and I, uh, you know, I I heard from those at the club in the six months where he wasn't playing that he was maybe the most exciting one that we'd had through. It, it was nothing to do with his ability, but I think it, it's only fair that when you have a player who's who's been playing part time effectively in the League of Ireland, you know, to, to expect them to come in and hit the ground running midway through a season without even a preseason under their belt and usurp two quality players, it was going to be unlikely. Um, so. I would definitely say to any Burnley fans who look back and think, hold on, this guy couldn't get into Oxford's team a year ago. It was nothing to do with, it was, it was never the plan. We brought in a player from Ireland this January as well called Asheen Smith. Um, exactly the same thing's happened. He, he was barely included in a match day squad for the first six months. It's just the way that we do it. It's just the way that the club look to recruit from Ireland and spend a good kind of six to eight months getting the, the player physically ready um, and, and drilling them in the way that, 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 that Carl Robinson likes to play. Yeah, fair enough. You mentioned there that obviously he came in with a plan to to come into the side when certain players have moved on. It's a similar thing to what we've done with Nathan Collins, who's also a, a, an Irish central defender, a little bit younger, actually. Collins is still 21, mm. but now he's just turned 22, I believe. 
Um, where, where did, I don't know how much you know about Collins, but obviously I presume you've seen him play and stuff like that. But obviously yeah. Collins has played for Ireland a few times. McNally's only played at under-19 level. Where, where do you think he is in terms of development alongside Nathan Collins? A fair bit, a fair way behind. I, I, I'll be really interested to see where the two are in kind of three or four years um, when they're both kind of... I think McNally, from what I know, was a, I mean, he's, a, he's a physical specimen. There's no denying that. But I remember watching an interview with him when he first joined where he actually said he was quite a late developer physically. Um, the fact that he has only played one, I think, uh, Irish youth game is absolutely crazy, in my opinion. And I think yeah. it shows just how late he developed into the player that he is now. Um, whereas Collins obviously had that um, that foundation on which to build on at a, at a much younger age. Now, I remember thinking when 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 McNally first came in, how surprising it was that he was already you know 21 years old or, or whatever he was. But I think it's just a case of coming to the boil a bit later. Um, you know, 22 years old for a centre back, 21 years old for a centre back is still incredibly young. Um, yeah. And we saw last season in in the season that he did play, even though he wasn't ever present, we saw how quickly McNally developed as a footballer as well. So I think that progression will continue. So um, I don't think it'll be very long until McNally's in the senior Ireland setup at all. Um, and, you know, whilst Collins is, is going to be, you know, you can put a two next to the two that he's going to go for. Um, Fee-wise, I'll be really intrigued to see where both of them are once they kind of plateau and they find their, their, their level as a, as a senior pro. Yeah, you mentioned that you tweeted yesterday as well, and I saw the tweet where you said it was a good deal for all parties. Obviously, the reports are it's around two million. Um, mm. So, obviously, looking at Burnley's point of view, you, you mentioned why you believe Oxford has sold him and how, how it's good for you and it's good for McNally. Did you think we've got a good deal then at two million pounds? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it's it's a bit of a frustration when you're a fan of a League One club that a we've seen it again with, with Rob Dickey was being touted for you know a 20 million pound fee in January when his form was good even now after a poor um second half of the season there's there's rumors of him going to Everton for 10 million pounds plus we sold him for I think 1.5 to QPR there's just a massive jump up from what you're going to get as a championship talent compared to what you're getting in league 1 so you know McNally only has to probably play 20 games for Burnley in the championship next season do okay and, and his value is going to is going to rocket up i think it's really smart recruitment um you know, it, we do a um, a one to twenty four podcast in the week before the season starts, or, or not the top twenty, which is always our most popular pods. And if you'd have asked me on the uh, kind of on the day the season ended last season, I'd have been pretty concerned about Burnley. Throughout the summer, I would say that is shifting massively. It, it feels to me like whoever is making the decisions at Burnley completely understands how to trade well within the EFL you know the going after Twine is, is, a, is a brilliant bit of business um, McNally is someone who it's kind of hiding in plain sight but you're not going to see a lot of championship clubs willing to take the plunge on a player for two million pounds who's only played 30 games but anyone who watches him can see that he's a bit of a Rolls Royce for centre-back and is only going to improve you were in for Jed Wallace who I know you didn't get but you're shopping in the right areas basically uh, it feels to me like whoever it is making the decisions. Um, I can't imagine it's Vincent Company who's come straight in and said he wants to sign an Oxford centre-back. I don't, I don't think he's seen too many of our games, but whoever is um, you know, calling the shots in terms of recruitment is, is is basically fishing in the right pond because shopping in League One, looking at players who are out of contract who are proven in the Championship, that is a very smart way to go about your business trying to get out of the Championship when we've seen so many Premier League clubs in the past. Um, you know, Aston Villa was the, was the best example, getting relegated and spending as if they were still, you know, tr- trying to get the cream of the crop they could in Europe. And it, it just doesn't really work. The players don't settle. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's a really good bit of business. And, you know, McNally doesn't have to do much to, to be valued at, at far higher than two million once he's got a few championship games. 
Yeah, obviously, it was in the League One team of the season last season, alongside Twine, who, of course, as you just mentioned, we have brought in. I think Twine was actually the League One player of the year. Yeah. Um, there is a bit of a, a, a obviously, gap in quality. The Championship's obviously a better league. Do, do you think he's good enough to be able to hit the ground running, or do you think he'll take time to adjust? Uh, is this Twine or McNally? I mean, I, I think we're probably with well, both McNally, of them. Yeah. Um, you know, with with Twine, you're getting a player obviously who's who's kind of deserved his chance, given how dominant he was in League One. But with, with McNally, I don't think it's necessarily a case of of the jump being too much. I think we we fairly consistently see that that top League One talent, especially top young League One talent, normally find their feet very very quickly in the Championship. Um, the only reason with McNally it might take time is is just because he's played so few games. I mean, throughout his career, it's not even like he racked up hundred odd games at St Pat's. Um, he developed late. He has had an absolute whirlwind in terms of his progression over the last two or three years. And I, I've got no doubt that he's going to play a fair bit. You know, I'm sure you haven't brought him in to, to play. You know, I, I know Harbour Bellis is coming in, um, Ian Riley as well. You know, you, you've got pretty high caliber, uh, some pretty high caliber defensive players coming in, but he's going to get minutes. And I think you're going to see that he'll improve very quickly. You know, in my mind, even though he is 22 and he's six foot four and he's, and he's built well and he's physical, you should almost knock a couple of years off that purely on the basis of how little football he's played and how quickly you can imagine he's going to progress. You know, he's not going to be, I think sometimes you expect a 22, 23 year old to come in and be fairly polished. Um, whereas I think McNally has still has a, a lot of improvement to go. And crucially of all the centre-backs I've spoken about who now play championship football, there's absolutely no question in my mind that McNally has got the highest ceiling. I don't think he's necessarily really got a ceiling because of the way that he plays and the the range of skills that he has. Just going on that ceiling there, because I was going to ask how far you think he can go in his career, not necessarily just at Burnley, but in his career. Obviously, you're saying he doesn't have a ceiling. Do you believe then he could he could play potentially for a top six or, or even a European side? Yeah, I think so. Um, and, you know, some Burnley fans might scoff at that and think, you know, this is just a biased fan coming on. But but Spurs were definitely interested in him um, in January. And there was definitely a conversation, at least, between the two clubs. Um, again, Spurs are a side who've done pretty well with their EFL recruitment in the last couple of years. Um, and again, it's because he's basically a blank canvas. If you think you've got a guy who, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about the kind of players in a second, but he is he's very, very comfortable on the ball, both in terms of his passing, but crucially his ball carrying as well. He can play in a two. He's very, very good at playing in a three as well because he likes to carry the ball. If he plays in a three, then the two other centre-backs can kind of shuffle inside and turn it into a four. Um, and and he's physical and he's dominant in the air. Like that, that he is the kind of defender that I'm sure Vincent Company is going to look at and think to himself, "This is a guy that I can really mould to be anything." And we often see, especially with centre backs, you know, you might think that when you're in your early twenties, it's a bit late to suddenly crash the scene in in the Premier League. But you don't need to tell Burnley fans when you've got players like Ben Mee. Um, you know, it's you're never too late to prove yourself as being a top-class Premier League centre-back. You know, you can you can progress into your 30s in that position as you learn the game more and you get a bit more streetwise. So I'm, I'm definitely not going to sit here and say Luke McNally is going to play European football. But in terms of where he could go, um, there's no question. You know, if, if you guys have a great season this season and get promoted and he's playing 40 games at centre-back, because of the kind of player he is, you know, you look at the interest that Collins has got at the moment, it, it will be it'll be exactly the same. It'll be the same kind of clubs in for him because he's got the skill set that would really appeal to sides who look to be possession heavy and want to invest in, in, in homegrown talent as well. Yeah, let's talk about him as a player then. Obviously, his favourite position is, of course, centre-back, but is it, 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 can he do anything else, play right back or, or maybe defensive midfield, centre midfield, or, or is it just a central back sort of like position? I, th- I think he was chucked up top a bit when he was in Ireland, but um, that would probably be the one place I'd say where, where he could fill in. You don't want to play him at a right back, I wouldn't say, because 
you know, his physicality is so important to the way that he wants to play. As I say, he does carry the ball. So in that sense, he could probably do a job there. He filled in at right back a couple of times when injuries said that he, you know, when injuries necessitated it at Oxford. But he's he's very much a centre back. Um, again, his positional, I think, when you're playing holding midfield, you have to be so positionally disciplined. You don't want a guy who's going to get on the ball, lift his head up, and suddenly gallop up the pitch for thirty yards. Um, but as I say, when he plays in that defensive three, I, I don't know how you guys are going to going to set up under company. But if you do play three at the back, that's when he can really come into his own because then you get a bit more cover. Um, you know, if you're playing in a four and you start making those runs, you're relying on your right back to, to tuck inside and, and cover for you. Whereas in a three, which we shifted to uh, for the second half of last season, that was when he really came into his own and showed how good he is. As I say, he's a very, very good defender. He's got the pace um, that he, you know, he, even though he's a big guy, it's harder to do him on the turn, I would say, than some other centre-backs we've had. He's very, very good in the opposition box from set pieces as well. He's, he should score more goals, but he scored a few goals for us. I'm sure that'll be a trait of his going forward. And he's good defensively in our box as well. It's very, very hard to criticise him. The only issues we saw at times at Oxford were, were mistakes. Um, you know, he yeah. had a couple of moments where he was caught out of possession or he'd try to do too much on the ball and would be caught out. But when, you, you know, when, you're, when you're playing your first season in, in full-time English football, I think that's to be expected. And, and I think he's the kind of player where you really need to encourage that freedom. You, you don't want to turn him into a, a, a safe player and a tidy player because he is one of those few centre-backs who has that extra bit of talent and that extra bit of um, you know creativity and willingness to, to do something with the ball that not many of those players have. So, um, And it's something, again, that we saw company do a fair bit as well um, for, for Manchester City. You know, he was brave on the ball. He always looked uh, to be positive on it too. And um, and that's why, as someone who's going to be looking out for McNally going forward, I hope and I'm sure that that part of his game will be encouraged. Yeah, you, I were going to ask you about his best attributes, but we pretty much nailed them all there. Obviously, you mentioned physicality, you mentioned on the ball, how good he's on the ball. That's something I want to focus on because it's not something we'd be used to under Sean Dash, like defenders <laughs> who are good on the ball. It's normally the, the defender will get the ball, they'll lump it up to Barnes or yeah. Jay or whatever. So how good exactly is he on the ball? You said there he likes to he likes to run forward. Is that something you think mm. he'll, be, he'll be encouraged at Burnley then and something he's, he's good at? He's definitely good at it. He's definitely good at it. There's no, there's no denying that. And it was interesting. We, Rob Atkinson was, was, was very good at that before him. And McNally didn't really do it early on in his career with us. And it was something he brought into his game later on in the season, almost as if he'd been coached to do it. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's oppositions, uh, opposition, the opposition don't really know what to do when you've got a six foot, six foot four guy running full pelt at you. Uh, they kind of look, look to back off and back off. And he, it's been very effective. As I said, I, I think whether he's encouraged to do it, whether we'll see that depends on the system that you play um i assume given the type of defenders that you've been looking to bring in you know mcnally and the two city lads i assume the style of play is going to change massively at burnley and and given who the manager is as well i assume it's going to be pretty possession heavy stuff going forward which would suit him as well although i guess ballard who of course nearly went um isn't the the best with the ball at his feet uh, but if that is the way you're you're looking to play you know I'm aware that if Ballard had gone through, the McNally deal was probably dead. Uh, it seemed like at the time. But it, even though Ballard has proven himself at the championship and is probably a more robust defender at this stage, um, I think if you are looking to, to shift the playing style and looking to encourage you know, the team to play out from the back, then, then McNally's probably a better fit. 
Yeah, fair enough. Um, obviously, I do want to pick your brains a little bit more about Burnley as a club. Obviously, we mentioned that you do work for, for EFL and Sky, talking about the EFL. You're kind mm-hmm. of like an EFL expert. You've said uh, at first you was a little bit worried for Burnley, but now not so much. You mentioned the type of players. How do you think we're going to do this season then? Or do you think a lot more is focused on if we continue making the right moves in the transfer market? Uh, it, I know there's... Neg- you kind of mentioned it yourself. I know there's some negativity within Burnley supporters. But what I would say is that teams who are relegated, and it frustrates me because I wish I could always, um, you know, uh, cheer for, well, not cheer for, but, but kind of push the the chances of, of, of the minnows. But teams who get relegated from the Premier League, even after bad seasons, normally finish in the top seven or eight. You know, you had Swansea under Potter who finished mid-table, but that, that team got completely decimated. Um, you have Huddersfield after they came down, who again finished kind of lower mid-table. But generally, even if you think back to, to Bournemouth uh, a couple of seasons ago, under um, it was Woodgate for the second half of the season and Jason Tindall for the first half, it was a poor season. Mm. It was poor enough that they lost their manager halfway through. They got into the playoffs. You look at, at Watford, who sacked, um, who sacked Avicii, uh Ivic halfway through the season, ended up getting promoted automatically. You know, the, the, the gap between the Premier League and the Championship is massive. I would also say that you were far better last season than both Watford and Norwich. There's like no question about that under Dyche and and after Dyche was sacked as well. Uh, I know that you've obviously let go uh, a lot of key players uh, from that season. And I also, you know, Collins is going to be, be a big miss as well. Um, and you need to bring a striker in at least one. But in my book, it, it seems bizarre. I think the negativity has gone too far. I think you are still a side with lots of Premier League quality running through it. I think company is, is a pretty exciting manager to come in in terms of the players that he's going to attract. And also the the fact that he's there alone suggests to me that he's he's pretty convinced that Burnley is mm-hmm. a club who aren't, um, you know, destined to, to continue to fall. I um yeah, I'm I'm pretty bullish that the that Burnley uh, will be a side very much towards the top end of the table next season. And um yeah, I think, you know, looking at the bookmakers odds and stuff, I uh if I was doing my book, you'd be a lot closer to Norwich and Watford um, than, than you currently are. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I'm shocked that we, last time I checked, we were 14 to 1, whereas yeah. you know the likes of Norwich were 6 to 4. I, I did find that a bit bizarre, but I, I did see a lot of people saying earlier in the season, like you said, sorry, earlier in the summer, that you know mm. people did fear for us. I always thought we'd be there or thereabouts. Um, it's yeah, it's crazy. It, it, on the betting stuff, it is crazy that you can get, you know, you can back. Uh, Burnley to get promoted at nine to two, and Watford to win the league at six to one. I mean, that is just yeah. you know the price difference is barely there, and, and you're, you're talking top two finish or winning the playoffs at Burnley. It's I think the narrative has, has gone way way too far, and, and people are forgetting that you were better than both last season. And I think you probably have the means. Although having said that, Watford and Norwich fans aren't particularly positive this season either. Um, you know, the strength of the league looks fairly weak. I think in, in this renewal, um, given that all three sides don't aren't necessarily coming down you don't you don't have a team as we've seen especially during covid times you don't have a team who could get relegated and then keep all of their key players you know Bournemouth mm-hmm. had Bournemouth had Dan Juma playing in the championship a couple of years ago I mean it was it was ridiculous that that was the case that doesn't seem to be happening this time around same with Buendia and, and Norwich um the, the team's getting relegated losing their key players and of the best of the rest like for so Sheffield United Middlesbrough it's, it's quite easy to pick holes in all of them so it doesn't look like a particularly strong... And then you've got you know, Luton and Huddersfield who are in the playoffs last season as well, who, who again, are going, only going to have mid-table budgets. So it doesn't look like the strongest league. And, and I think you know, Burnley are very much well set to be, to be up there. 
Yeah, fingers crossed. Obviously, we've lost Tarky and Ben, me and Pope. We've still got Collins. I'm, fi- I'm feeling yeah. hopeful we can keep him, but there's been a few. Ready. Obviously, we're signing so many central defenders. A few people are getting a bit worried, but fingers crossed it's Collins alongside one of the one of the new lads. Um, last one from me. Uh, just want to give everyone, uh, let everyone know where they can find you. Give your podcast and stuff a shout out. You mentioned you got a, a one to twenty four coming up as well. So where they can find all that? Yeah. So if you go, uh, it's called Not the Top Twenty. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. Um, you can find us on all podcast platforms as well. Um, we do a Monday show, which is just reviewing all the weekend's action, and we do a Thursday preview show, which uh, is a, a betting preview as well. So you get tips there too. So yeah, come and check it out. We're aware that normally most football fans support their club and then listen to Premier League podcasts. But hopefully, uh, if you listen to us, we can show you that <laughs> the EFL is is more uh, exciting than just your club as well. Yeah, well, you've been a great guest, mate. So I'm sure we'll see you again at some point during the season. But thanks for coming on, mate. It's been a pleasure. Cheers, Joe. Anytime. Hello, everybody. And welcome back to Turfcast here on the Turfcast YouTube channel, of course, the podcast as well. I am Joel Redman, and today I am joined by Belgian journalist Sven van Lundersele. And he's, uh, like I said, a Belgian journalist for DPG Media, VTM News and several other things. How you doing, mate? You okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for coming on Turfcast. Of course, the news broke earlier this, well, last month now, because it's July. Vincent Company is, of course, a new Burnley manager. It's a bit of an unknown territory for Burnley. Obviously, we've we've had you know the same manager for the last nine years, obviously, barring the caretaker in Jackson. Uh, and it's looking like there's going to be a, a big difference in style of play. But we'll get into that in a minute, Sven. Uh, firstly, I want to get your reaction to the news or, or how the news sort of like was reported in Belgium and how everyone in, in Belgium reacted to it. Because, of course, Vincent Company, a household name in Belgium, was the captain of the, the Belgian team in 2010, and probably a bit later than that, actually 2016, sorry, uh, led you to the World Cup and some Euros, I believe, as well. So how, how did the news go in, in Belgium? Well, yeah, it was uh, quite a surprise. Although we didn't uh, we saw it uh, coming a little bit uh, because yeah the relationship between uh, Vincent company and the board members yeah it wasn't uh, that good anymore as before um, behind the scenes yeah uh, it was uh, yeah there were differences in uh, meaning in opinions uh, because company um, at some press conferences uh, when he was asked uh, what are the remaining targets for Anderlecht this season before the start of the playoffs, you know, uh, the concept in Belgium with uh, after the competition, there is another playoff with the, the four uh, best teams and divided. Uh, the points are divided then. Uh, yeah, he already said uh, our season, yeah, it, it already went well. But yeah, that was a bit strange because, yeah, we had the feeling Anderlecht could uh, had Anderlecht had just lost the cup final, uh, which uh, yeah didn't uh, fall very well with the board because they were re- really they really wanted that prize again because it's been five years already that Anderlecht won a prize. Uh, so yeah, in the cup final, they didn't perform well at all. Um, and then in the playoffs, then the company said our season already went well. That uh, yeah, that's something the board didn't take very well. Uh, so there were some kind of difference in in yeah in opinions about uh, the strength of the selection and uh, the performances of last season. Uh, yeah, which led to the to the goodbye of Vincent Company. Uh, but 
Although, yeah, we saw it a little bit coming as journalists. It's it's still uh, huge, very huge news uh, in Belgium because it's an icon uh, of Anderlecht. Yeah. The company will remain an icon of Anderlecht. Uh, so, yeah, it still was uh, a surprise. And the supporters of Anderlecht, yeah, most of them didn't take it uh, very well. But I, get, I guess... Uh, most of them uh, are now focusing on next season. Yeah, um, obviously, there's a lot of talk about how well company did at Anderlecht. It seems to be a difference of opinion. Let, what, what's your thoughts? Because obviously, you cover Anderlecht over in Belgium, so you know a lot about Anderlecht. You've seen them play a lot last season. I believe there's been some financial troubles in recent years. Company's yeah. come in, he's, he's steadied the ship slightly with that. Um, but like you said, Anderlecht haven't won anything for quite a while. There was probably hope that Vincent Company would have taken Anderlecht to the next level and win something again. Do, do people in Belgium feel Company did, did a good job with Anderlecht or do people in Belgium feel they did a poor job with Anderlecht? You can't say he did a bad job at Anderlecht because uh, he repeated it over and over again at press conferences uh, about the financial situation, uh, that it has it influences um, on, the, on the results and the performances on the pitch. And... Yeah, that's of course true. When he arrived uh, in 2019, um, Anderlecht was still a mess, you have to admit it. Um, The board was also uh, really different um, if you compare it to now. Uh, uh, So the board members who who, who took company back in Belgium, uh, yeah, there are no one, almost no one is... uh, is still in the board today. So, um, yeah, and when he arrived, yeah, Anderlecht was a mess financially. Um, so transfers, re- really difficult. And then, yeah, the the president uh, that day, uh, Mark Kuko, who is still the owner of the club, uh, yeah, he did some transfers together with the sports director. Uh, from, like, for example, uh, Michel Vlap, he... he uh, he was transferred for 8 million euros while, while Andrej couldn't afford that at all. Um, so, yeah, that made it uh, even more difficult, more difficult. And then the Anderlecht uh, and company, um, yeah, they lined up a lot of youth players uh, in the first season. So, yeah, they were really, really young. And then the, the famous one-liner trusted process uh, was born. Um, so yeah, the first season was really, really difficult. Uh, Anderlecht finished uh, only eight, uh, and then the COVID pandemic uh, broke out. So after that, it uh, was even more difficult. Uh, so in his second season, when when company became only the manager, so because he was player manager in the first season, yeah, uh, and it was a bit strange so then in the in his second season new president uh water van den Hotte and the new sports director peter verbeke uh came and they wanted yeah they wanted just to, to have things clear uh so company had to choose to be a player or to be a manager and then he, he became the manager but yeah on the transfer market it was still difficult for Anderlecht. um they, in his in his first season as a manager they had to take a lot of players on loan, um, mainly the strikers, because uh, last season, uh, last summer, they were able to buy some some players, some good players, uh, to get some continuity in, this, in the squad. But the striker position, they had to, yeah, they weren't able, 
capable to to buy a, to buy a strong striker. So yeah, they had to loan two players, uh, Christian Kouame and Joshua Zirkse, who won't return probably to the club. So yeah, it was a vicious circle, you see. Um, so that that made it really difficult. But you can't also say, and and company made a progression also as a manager. Because in his first season, he wanted to play in the romantic way, uh, based on Pep Guardiola mainly. But throughout the seasons, you you saw he made progression, um, and and he stepped. Uh, yeah, he he played in fact um, more uh, based on the qualities of his squad than the way he wanted to play as a coach. Of course, he kept his principles principles of offensive football. But he was—he became also a little more realistic as a coach. That—that uh, that was um, something in his first season. He was—he was too naive, you could say. Uh, but that's something he made—he evolved in. But yeah, on the other side, you can also—you can't also say he did—he did a good job. He did a very good job at Anderlecht because last season, uh, in the beginning of the season, yeah, the argument was there to say, yeah. 10 uh, new players, uh, so it, it will take time um, for the squad to, to evolve, to find each other in the way of playing. So, and that was that was a good argument, a fair argument. But during the season, there were key moments where Anderlecht, yeah, didn't perform well at all. Uh, so in the key moments, they weren't, they weren't there. There was end of August. Uh, they lost in the in the last preliminary of the Conference League. Uh, they lost four times the derby against uh, Union, the the team that came from the second division and finished second. Uh, so they lost four times uh, against them. Um, it was really really hard uh, to reach playoff playoff one. Only on the last uh, match day they reached it. Um, and then the cup final, of course, uh, they lost against Ghent on penalties, but Anderlecht didn't perform well at all in that final. So yeah, there were some key moments. Anderlecht wasn't there in the in the last season, and I think if some of that key those key moments, like the cup final or the European qualification, uh, or better performances in the playoffs against Union. That those key moments have made the difference for company to stay or not, uh, I guess, uh, or, or at least it is the how do you say? At least it is the yeah. Wait, huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the how how they how they see the, how do how they evaluate how they the season. Okay, yeah. It makes it makes a lot of difference in how they evaluate the season. So yeah. That's why the the way separated. Yeah, do, do you think the the shortcomings? Obviously, you mentioned losing four derbies, which that can't happen <laughs> here. There's no way. I'd, I'd be few. We, we cannot be losing the derbies here. Um, <laughs> do you reckon that and the fact that they lost the cup final and the fact that they came up short in the playoffs at the end <laughs> of the season was that because of company or was that because of you know they just didn't have the players? The players weren't good enough because of the money issues. That was in fact. Um... A huge discussion between the board and company himself, um, because the board's opinion was, unlike could have done better with the players they were uh, available, uh, but company's opinion was uh, he did the best he could. 
uh, or nearly the best he could. Um, but I, uh, I think my my opinion is that Andre could have done better. So, mm. but to blame it all on company, I wouldn't do that. Um, but yeah, if Anderlecht had also the trouble that they don't start well um, at games. They conceded a lot of goals in the first quarter of the games. Uh, also against Union, uh, uh, mainly against Union uh, in the derbies. So they 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 didn't. They often didn't start well uh, the games. So. Yeah, you can blame that on company partly, but also on the players themselves. Um, but Anderlecht last season has has shown a lot that they they could play attractive football. Um, so yeah, then then you have to ask the question: Why can't they be there? Can't they be? Can't they perform that well when they when they have to, like in cup like in the cup final or the derbies or the European qualification? Yeah, then. Anderlecht was, yeah, they weren't there. Uh, but in other games, they they showed the they showed that they can that they are one of the best um, footballing teams in the Belgian league. Uh, last season, they showed it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Only if Anderlecht was at their best, I th- they they could compete with everyone except for Union, which, yeah, they lost four times, but. Also with the champions, Bruges, they didn't lose against Bruges last season. It was six times a draw. Mm. But uh, yeah, of those six games, they could have won three or four games. So yeah, Anderlecht showed that they were capable uh, of playing good football like company wanted to. But when they had to uh, had to perform, when it was a huge, huge game, really important game to decide the season to decide a final whatever they yeah they weren't there and that's something really important there was a really important aspect um, yeah about uh, the discussions about the future uh, of Vincent company yeah fair enough um I, I, we'll get into style of playing a little bit because you mentioned their attractive football quite a lot which is i think a big thing of why he's actually been brought into burnley but we'll get into that in a second i want to pick up on something you said earlier about youth how he brought a lot of youth players in because that's exactly what he's doing at burnley and you'll forgive me if i'm looking at my phone because we've literally just signed a new player now as we've as we've been talking cj egan rowley's coming from manchester city we've, we're looking at Harewood bellis we've already brought in scott twine luke mcnally all of these are young players very very young players with exciting futures but young nonetheless do you feel like that's something he's going to do at Burnley then? Continue to do the similar sort of thing that he did at Anderlecht and bring in the youth players and then try and develop mm-hmm. them? And is, is he known as being a manager that can develop sort of like youth players? Yeah, yeah. At Anderlecht, uh, a lot of youth players uh, got their chances. Uh, a lot, to mean, the, the most uh, known players are probably uh, Yari Verscharen uh, or Francis mm. Amuzu or uh, Anuar Elac, uh, Marco Kana. At the end of last season, uh, and then I and then there are a lot more. Uh, last season, so in the in his first two seasons, um, a lot of more youth players got their chance, also because of the financial situation of Anderlecht. The a lot of youth players got their chance. Last season, more experienced players uh, were bought, like. Uh, like uh, Sergio Gomez, uh, it's not he's still a young player, but uh, he, they bought him. Uh, like Sergio Gomez, like Christopher Olsen, 
the Urafailov, uh, and then the two strikers who were on loan, Kwame Zirkse, uh, Benito Raman also striker. Uh, yeah. So a lot, uh, the lineups uh, were, were average, some older uh, last season, a lot more experienced player, uh, played a lot of games, but still he, that's also something he repeated over and over again at his press conferences that he, uh, on a daily basis, uh, he trains with uh, 30 uh, players. So the the first squad and the second squad, a lot of players from the second squad, they train with the first team every day. And he, he repeats that over and over again. Uh, they, they will get their chance when they're ready and nothing will be new for them because they train with us every day. And he repeats that over and over again. So, yeah, I think... He also mentioned it in his at his first press conference in Burnley that uh, he will continue to do that. And you, you, uh, what uh, stood out for me on that press conference was, yeah, uh, that it will be some kind of process again that mm. Burnley will evolve throughout uh, the years. And if they don't promote in the first scene that it's not a drama, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that's something. Yeah, I recognize from the. I recognize from the coach company uh, in Belgium that everything will take time. Um, and I guess it will at Burnley because you said it, uh, you come from Sean Dice, a uh, totally uh, different manager, totally other uh, way of playing. And company will uh, introduce his principle, his offensive principles in Burnley uh, for sure. Uh, with some young players, uh, mm. of course, and then he um, he will repeat that also. I guess that uh, everything will take time and uh, that it's a process. Uh, but yeah, you can't say that company is a good manager for the youth players um, because uh, all of the youth players, they yeah, company is an example for them. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So. Uh, when he when he left the club, you had to you had to see the Instagram stories from all of the players, and, uh, not only the young players, but company was really an, an example for them. Although um, some in the in the in the dressing room, not everyone was as happy um, with him uh, with his, his his style of coaching. I would say because uh, some players, yeah, it was too uh, theor- too much theory. You see, and and sometimes okay. he forgot the human aspect of the players. That was something some players uh, mentioned. Uh, some players from the dressing room mentioned um, to say, yeah, that it's that he's a, he's the best coach they have ever seen uh, in theory, but that he forgets sometimes the human aspect. And yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, it'd be interesting to see how that goes on. Maybe certain parts of the staff, the assistant manager, who we still don't know it is yet. We suspect it's going to be Craig Bellamy, but that's not been officially announced yet. Um, that'll be their sort of role then, if, if he is if he, if he is known for forgetting the human aspect. Hopefully, it, that, that's what the assistant managers and the coaches are for. But you, I want to go into style of play now as well, because like I said, you, you watched Anderlecht a lot last season. You've already said that they played an exciting style. Why is it exciting? What, what do they do that, that it's exciting? Is it fast pace, building from the back? What sort of thing do they look to do? Yeah, building from the back is uh, is a key principle of company. Um, 
when he began as a as an unlock player manager, it was forbidden to uh, to shot some long balls. Mm. Um, and the the keeper that time, the goalkeeper, um, the first goalkeeper who played a, a decent season, uh, a decent season 2018-2019. Uh, yeah, he was transferred immediately uh, when company arrived because he wasn't good enough with his feet. Uh, so that's uh, a really important aspect for him that everyone is part of the build-up, uh, also the keeper. And unlike, you, as I mentioned, became more realistic uh, throughout the years, a little more realistic. So the keeper uh, and, and the defender were allowed uh, to drop some long balls. But yeah, the the key principle was the build-up from the back. Um, so yeah, and that's... Sometimes they made stupid mistakes in their defenses that led to stupid uh, conceded goals. Uh, but that was a really, really important principle. So uh, build up from the back with uh, wingbacks, uh, with fast wingbacks who can drop uh, a center in the box. Uh, yeah. At Anderlecht, it were, uh, were Amir Murillo and Sergio Gomez. Um, uh, and then two... Central midfielders. In fact, he played in a four-two-two-two last season. That was his. Uh, that was his lineup throughout the whole season. Every <laughs> every game was in that formation. Um, so with yeah, two wingbacks and then two central midfielders uh, and two pockets, uh, not wingers, but two pocket players uh, and then two strikers. So. In fact, really of a really offensive uh, lineup, and I guess he will introduce uh, the same or so kind of the same uh, in Burnley because uh, sometimes, yeah, the criticism was that he wasn't flexible enough uh, because, yeah, he was after some time he was it was really predictable who who was gonna play, and it's good to get some, yeah continuity in the squad but also the changes were really predictable after one hour uh one hour 70 minutes joshua zirkse always replaced always substituted by uh, benito raman always joshua zirkse and also leo rafailov after one hour uh, or 70 minutes because of their their data and that's something that's yeah that proves his uh, is theory uh, is is mainly theoretical uh, view of coaching uh, because their data the data of Circe, the high intensity runs the sprints they dropped after uh, sixty minutes or seventy minutes and so they were also always replaced uh, substituted uh, after sixty or seventy minutes um, so yeah but in um, for company it's yeah. Offensive play, offensive uh, football playing is key, is is the key. And uh, as I said, he will introduce that uh, in Burnley as well. But as Burnley is not very known for that, it will take time, I imagine. As yeah, it was, I think we're suspecting it as fans that it's going to take a bit of time. But I think in a weird way, it's kind of helping. It's interesting what you mentioned about the goalkeeper there, because, of course, our goalkeeper has just gone to Newcastle United. But I, I think that's probably more likely to do with the relegation. But one of Nick Port's main criticisms is, is that he wasn't very good with his, with his feet. So company might have come in and said, it wouldn't be the end of the world if we lost him sort of thing. And that kind of forced the board's hand. 
you said you mentioned there a lot of uh, offensive stuff. What sort of strikers did he always look for at uh, Anderlecht and in the transfer market? What sort of strikers did he have? Because at the minute, our strikers obviously just brought brought in Twine, but our strikers, you know, you've got Ashley Barnes and Jay Rodriguez, who are two, you know, big sort of lads. Not not massive, but you know, they they were normally there for bringing the ball down from Tarkovsky's long balls, heading it on that sort of thing. Of course, Valt Beckos as well. He, he is absolutely huge. He's six foot six. You know, what I mean, not very good in the air, but six foot six. So we have a very you know, similar style of striker, apart from maybe Vidra and, of course, now Twine. So what sort of strikers work best in his system? Well, in Anderlecht, um in the beginning, it took a little, it took a bit of time uh, to find the right uh, duo because he plays with the duo uh, in front. But, yeah, from October, November, it was clear that uh, the two lone players, Joshua Zirkse, Christian Kouame, uh, were going to form the duo. Uh, in front, so yeah, uh, Zerkse is he was really tall, but really, really, you know, him maybe he's the lone player of Bayern Munich, yeah. Uh, Zerkse, um, he's really tall, but yeah, he's an artist, in fact, with his feet, so he didn't, he doesn't uh, run a lot, although that improved throughout the season, uh, I have to admit. When uh, once uh, during February or March, we saw him take a sprint of 80 meters from the one box to another. And we were all very surprised to yeah. see that because uh, Xerxes' main criticism was that he's a bit, yeah, he's, he has the flair to say, um, he has the style. But uh, yeah, in Belgium, we say nonchalant. I don't know how to say it in English. Mm. Uh, nonchalant, I can look up if you want. As it's no, it, it is a word that we use over here. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it it is a word that we do use over here. So yeah, it's uh, interesting that you know that these sort of that that again might be more to do with the data side of things to say that yeah, yeah. And then, from a, start, yeah. a certain style to then sprinting. Yeah. Obviously, Vincent could have said, "No, oh, look at this data. We need you to do mm -hmm. this." Uh, that's yeah. that's a feather so, in his cap. Yeah, it was really yeah. And then so Christian Kouame was a whole other type of player. He. He ran, he ran, he kept running uh, throughout 90 minutes, Christian Kouame. So he he ran everywhere on the pitch, hey, in the in the striker zone. But he was yeah. everywhere, on the left, on the right, in the center. He was everywhere, Kouame. Uh, so he created space for Xerxes, um, you see. Uh, but Xerxes wasn't, although he scored 19, uh, 18 goals, I guess, uh, Xerxes, uh, he could have scored 25 or 30 uh, he was more of a killer uh, in front of the goal. And Kwame also scored um, some goals less than Xerxes, but also not really uh, a killer in front of the goal. That's, although Anderlecht scored most of uh, their goals, uh, the highest amount of their goals in years last season, but, although they, but still they weren't really efficient, I would say. So that's yeah. a killer. They a lot of players scored, not only uh, the two strikers. A lot of players scored. So Sergio Gomez, the left uh, wing back, scored a lot. Uh, Leroy File of the pocket player scored a lot. Um, but still, Anderlecht wasn't really efficient. So I don't know uh, what kind of players uh, you have there in Burnley. A uh, kind of strikers you have there in Burnley. Excuse me. Um, but I guess, yeah, he will look for a, a duo that, that find each other, who, who matches. They match and two, so two different 
kind of players, and I wouldn't be surprised if it were the kind of players uh, that he had at Anderlecht, like Cirque or Kwame, uh, yeah. one who runs everywhere, uh, who has energy level for 90 minutes, and the other one, yeah, who is tall, who can use his body and win a duel and still is good with his feet. So I guess he will look for, for a similar duel. Yeah, well, obviously it brings me on nicely. Um, we are linked with some um, Belgian players, well, some teams from Belgian players, some players from Belgian teams, sorry, at the minute. It's Jackson Muleka from Standard Liège and a midfielder. Is it Samuel Bastian? Um, we're linked yes. with them two quite quite strongly at the minute. The rumours are that they've had medicals over in Belgium and they're flying over today to do the second part of the medical. That's just rumours at this stage. Um, what sort of players are they? And secondly, have, have you seen anything... Um, reports in Belgium that could suggest that this is you know, imminent to happening, as as reports yeah. are saying over here. It will happen. It will happen. Those two, they yeah. are. Okay. Yeah, 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 it will happen. As uh, as my uh, my colleague uh, who covers Standard Liège, he's informed uh, really well, I would say. Um, so, but yeah, uh, those two, um, especially Muleka, uh, but also Bastien. Uh, yeah, it's it's going to happen. They are going to join uh, Burnley, uh, as uh, as of the informations of my colleague uh, who covers Standard Liège. Uh, but what kind of players are they? Um, in fact, um, <laughs> uh, Samuel Bastien is a is a player who was uh, formed at Anderlecht. Uh, he plays for Standard, okay. but he had his his, his youth um, development in Anderlecht uh, a lot of years. Uh, I don't know exactly how much, but um, he's a youth product of Anderlecht and he's a defensive midfielder. Uh, he has been the captain of Standard as well, so that shows uh, he's, he's a leader, in fact. Uh, yeah, he's a, he's a defensive central midfielder, Bastien, and Muleka is a striker, uh, a big striker, uh, no, uh, not the biggest. Uh, he's only uh, 1 meter 80, I guess. Um, but he can play. He's, he's really he's a really flexible um, uh, striker. So he can play on several positions. He is of course he's a center striker, but he, he has also plays on the wings, I guess, and in a, a striker duo. So I think it would uh, it would match with company's uh, philosophy of playing football. Uh, the yeah. criticism uh, for Muleka was that he wasn't really. Uh, efficient at standard he, he had difficulties to score a goal muleka but i understood that during his loan in turkey uh he exploded <laughs> he scored uh, so, yeah yeah 12 12 goals in, in 14 games so that's pretty exciting for burnley i guess uh but in belgium muleka is, is not a bad striker i would say but uh, yeah difficult to score a goal but as he exploded in Turkey, I don't know in what system he played over there, uh, but yeah, he's confident. And I think, and if he comes, uh, if he wants to join Burnley, and he's confident, that's good. That's good for both parties, I guess. So, two uh, decent players, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Looking forward to that. If if we do get them over the line, obviously uh, you saying it will happen. So, I'm excited for that. Um, last question from me. Um, What's your feeling now? I know you mentioned with Burnley fans might have to be patient. Apologies, my camera does tend to freeze a lot. There we go. Um, you've mentioned that Burnley fans might have to be patient, and there's a lot of talk of that. I mean, the championships, not in my opinion, not as strong as it used to be. So I do think we will be 
there or thereabouts, you know, when, when it comes to the end of the season. I think top six is a bare minimum, of course, then uh, the, the playoffs will we'll be entering the playoffs. How do you think Burnley are going to do under Cump? So, oh, sorry, I'll rephrase that question. How do you think company is going to do at Burnley? Huh, it's, it's difficult to say because I I have to admit I don't I didn't know Burnley that well um, before company was appointed as manager um, but as I said I think um, you will have to be patient in the beginning because company is, is reforming the squad as I understand um, yeah. so yeah it, it will take time to uh, to introduce is is whole other way of playing that that Burnley is used to, but uh, the president said in an interview with our paper because a colleague of mine uh, came to Burnley um, two weeks ago to visit and he had an interview with uh, with the president Alan Pace and yeah. um, Pace said that that he likes <laughs> the one line I trust the process so I think as I. Uh, as I believe the, what he says, I think there is a lot of confidence uh, between company and the and the Burnley board. So if the Burnley board is is yeah, they if they want to be patient, if they can be patient, uh, I think it can be a really nice um, a nice story um, for both Burnley and company. It it will be difficult because uh, yeah, as we already mentioned, Burnley. Uh, isn't used to the uh, whole attractive uh, attacking way of playing. But if there is enough patience from, from the fans, from the board, from everyone in the club, if everyone believes in it, I think it will be okay. It, it will be a, a really be- a, a, a nice story. I don't, uh, I don't promise you, you will, you will promote to the Premier League again this season, but if everyone's patient is if everyone's um if everyone's ready yeah to be patient and to to believe in the project of Vincent Company i guess uh in the end things will be all right yeah well fingers crossed it sounds like you know eventually uh, like i said i think we like i agree i think this season we may have to be patient um but i think i think we will be there or thereabouts so there's a few strong teams this year I think we are one of them. Um, Watford, Norwich, Sheffield United and Middlesbrough to a certain extent, although I believe they've just lost somebody to uh, Spurs. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, but you've been a great guest, mate. Thank you for coming on, on to Turfcast. You know, it's, it was a little bit longer than we planned, but that's because such, you're such a good talker. So, you know, you've been really good, you know, to get all this information about Binton Company out, all this information about, you know, his style of play. You know, and fingers crossed we can see some exciting football at Burnley next season. So thank you very much, Sven. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been a pleasure for me too. Thank you for inviting me. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.